Welcome to the Shepherd King Podcast. We exist to equip pastors and leaders in the local church to transcend beyond current culture, to see government through the lens of the gospel, and engage as modeled in the scriptures. Welcome to the Shepherd King Podcast. And as you have followed along, we are going through our series, Who is King Today? And we talked about the five powers of the king, and today we'll talk about the sixth power of the king. We have talked about the lawmaker, the king as a lawmaker. We have talked about the king as the CEO. We have talked about the king as the head of state, the king as the chief judge, and also the king as a commander of armies. And today we will end our series talking about the power of sovereign. Greg, who is the sovereign today? The first three words of the U.S. Constitution tells us who holds the sovereignty Mm. of the United States today. And it begins with we the people. It's something today we don't think a whole lot about, but this was so revolutionary at this time. The people would ultimately own the government. And this is true in the United Kingdom today, though the queen is sovereign ceremonially, it's held by the people. And throughout most of the world, sovereignty is held by the people. In some nations, it's held by a party. I think of China, sovereignty largely rests with the Communist Party. It's how it traditionally was in the Soviet Union. But here where we live, it's the people. And Greg, how would you describe sovereignty? What is sovereignty? Sovereignty is who ultimately owns the government. Whom does the government controlled by? And in America, we exercise our sovereignty every time we vote. So nationally, we vote every two years. Every two years, the United States House of Representatives is up for re-election. Every six years, your United States Senator is up for election. Every four years, the president. And in the states, every two years, the state house of representatives is up. And your state senates vary state by state. In the state of Iowa, where we live, it's every four years. And then the the governor is often up in the off years of the presidential years. That's not true in every state, but most states, it's in the off year. Mm -hmm. But that is where the people exercise their sovereignty. Now, remember, though, there is still six powers of the king. So this is something we're used to hearing in American church, that the people are the sovereign. But that does not mean you got to set the speed limit on the interstate that you drive. Right. You also don't get to set the size of the fine, and you also don't get to determine if you're guilty or not. Those five powers rest in the republic. And the republic simply means that these people hold authority and the authority was given to them by the people. But they have the authority. And that's how republics work. It's a major difference from democracy where the masses control all authority. And most democracies are failed nations. Republics have proven to be the best form of democratic governance. That's very good, Greg. And Greg, uh, why is the sovereignty very important? The sovereign is the one that will ultimately determine what direction do they want their government to go. Hmm. They will ultimately determine what is the end in mind. So every two years, 
if you get to vote in the United States and you are unhappy with your government, you are in the place to select who is in authority. So we often like to complain, I think I saw in a recent poll that U.S. Congress was down to a, a 16% approval rating. So like most people, we're, we're discontent. And this has been true for quite some time now. And we complain so often about our government, we have to remember in Republic, governments are a reflection of the people. Throughout history, sovereignty was held by kings. And it was often hereditary. You had no say in who ruled over you. They're just the firstborn son mm -hmm. of a family that was put in a strange place. Here, if you don't like your government, well, that is a reflection of the people. Every two years, if the government is sick, it's because the sovereign is sick. It's because the sovereign is unhealthy. And that is why the sovereign is so important. When the sovereign's unhealthy, the government's unhealthy. So if the sovereign's the king, if the king's unhealthy, the whole government's unhealthy. If the sovereign's the people and the people are unhealthy, their government will be unhealthy because they're the ones selecting it. Hmm. That's very good, Greg. As we look to the scriptures, Greg, and uh, as we look to history, what are some examples we can find of the sovereignty being held either by the king or by the people. In Ezra 1, we see the king of Persia, the emperor of Persia, saying he holds the sovereignty. It was given to him by God. And this is a Gentile nation. He says, the Lord, the God of heavens, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a house in Jerusalem. So this emperor understood it's by God that kings rise and fall. We see that in Daniel as well. But he also understood that he owned it. And through most of history, this is how it's been. But we see a fascinating interaction in the nation of Israel in 1 Samuel 8. And we see the importance of unhealthy people. Israel, government rules by the consent of the governed. That is true for every government of the world. The Tsars ruled Russia for over a thousand years. The Romanov family ruled Russia for over 300 years until the consent of the government reached a mass that they reject their king. Mm -hmm. And Russia goes into a revolution. We saw that in the United States history where King George III lost the consent of the governed. Mm -hmm. Remarkably, the nation of Israel shares the sins that are rooted in all of us, going back to Adam and Eve, when we reject the sovereignty of God. Hmm. Adam and Eve said, we want ownership. So they eat the apple, they eat the fruit, and reject God as their king. The nation of Israel did this very thing in 1 Samuel 8. And God warns them. He says, Samuel told all the Lord's words to the people who are asking him for a king. He said, these are the rights of the king who will reign over you. 
He will take your sons and put them to his use and his chariots, his horses, and run in in front of his chariots. He can appoint them for his use as commanders of thousands or commanders of fifties to plow his ground and reap his harvest and to make weapons of war and equipment of his chariots. And take your daughters to become performers, cooks, and bakers. He can take your best fields, vineyards, and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He can take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give them to his officials and servants. He can take your male servants, your female servants, your best young men, and your donkeys and use them for his work. He can take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves can become his servants. When the day comes, you'll cry out because the king you have chosen for yourself, but the Lord won't answer you Hmm. on that day. How chilling is that? Mm -hmm. Here's the response. The people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we must have a king over us then we'll be like all the other nations. That's a sick sovereign. Rejected God as their king and chose to put in an earthly king. Hmm. We would see the graciousness of God following this after he was rejected. He told Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Mm-hmm. He would take it upon himself to search for a king. And when the house of Saul failed, he took it upon himself to bring them the house of David. But God knew, God knew that the people would not be able to select good leaders amongst themselves. Hmm. And the leaders they would choose would bring great oppression on them. And the sovereign said, we know what we're doing anyway. And they did it. And we have seen great errors in this throughout U.S. and world history. Sometimes we don't want to admit that it is by the people, men like Vladimir Lenin and Adolf Hitler came to power. Hmm. A healthy sovereign is critical to healthy government. That's very good, Greg. What are some examples we can look to in the either U.S. history or world history of leaders in power or the people that held the sovereignty well? There's a quote from John Adams that that comes to mind to me right now. And uh, John Adams says this republic, because he understood we're, we're given sovereignty to people, was made for a moral religious people and it's inadequate to any other. John Adams understood if there's going to be a a constitutional republic, that if the people were unrighteous, the government would always be unrighteous. And he was not the only one that shared that opinion at that time. There's a famous gentleman in human history named Tsar Nicholas II, who was the last absolute monarch of Europe. He had a, a Duma that'd be similar to a, a parliament, but had very little power and he often disbanded it. He was a true, absolute monarch. 
and Tsar Nicholas II firmly believed hereditary monarchy was 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 what was best for people. Tsar Nicholas II said, the Bible says that people's own inclinations are wicked, that they will always elect wicked governments. So to give the power to the people was to guaranteed wicked governments. Mm-hmm. Where in a monarchy, every now and then you have a righteous king. So for every Manasseh, Occasionally, you get a Hezekiah, a Josiah, and a David, where under constitutional republics, he says you always get Manassas. What Tsar Nicholas failed to realize is that uh, he himself also had a, a deceptive heart mm-hmm. and put a little bit too much faith in himself. And this has been an argument through human history what's best. What we have found today is that a, a constitutional republic with checks and balances that that keeps the sin nature in check works best. It's far from perfect, but it's probably as close as we're going to get until the King Jesus rules us as an absolute monarch perfectly. Calvin Coolidge is a U.S. president on America's 150th birthday, 1926. He's in a successful constitutional republic. And what many don't know is the the United States is not even close to the oldest country in the world, but it is by far the oldest government in the world. America, from a human perspective, has had a successful constitutional republic. In 150 years that we were celebrating during the time of Calvin Coolidge was an incredible milestone in human history. Mm. And Calvin Coolidge decided to dedicate one person on this day as having the most contribution to the success of 150 years. And this one person wouldn't be just what they did individually, but the collective of people they represented in human history. He did not choose a president, a member of Congress, a signer of the Declaration of Independence, the writer of the Declaration of Independence, or any of those early American people that we'd recall. He actually called a man that uh, many have forgotten, unless you're a part of a certain denomination and you went to the seminary named after him. That's Sir Francis Asbury. He chose Asbury as a church planter and as a symbol of many church planters and evangelists in our history, whether it be Jonathan Edwards or John Whitfield or John Wesley, so many of them. And who Sir Francis Asbury was is he was a friend of John Wesley's from England. When John Wesley came to the United States, he, he developed a great heart for the people here. And the biggest thing that concerned him was the lack of pastors for the nation, the lack of shepherds. He saw a land that had a lot of people going to church that didn't know the gospel. And he found the issue was that the pastors themselves didn't know the gospel. So how could they teach it if they didn't know it? Mm. So he said, we need to raise up shepherds in America. So he went back to Oxford, England, to the Methodist Society at Oxford College. 
And he put a challenge out to those there. Who can go to America and raise up pastors? Francis Asbury raised his head and said, I will go. I will go. And he came during the imperial times of America when the war broke out. He is a priest in the Church of England who is beholden to King George III. He was told to come home for his safety, but out of the heart for the people he stayed. Hmm. And he ministered to both loyalists and those who served in the revolution. And he would stay after America became its own country. And during his lifetime, he developed what we now know as the circuit riders. Mm -hmm. He'd raise up 4,000 pastors, and they would plant churches throughout the American frontier. Calvin Coolidge said that it was the foundation that those gospel-preaching churches brought from big towns to little towns that allowed the sovereign hmm. to choose the government that it chose. Calvin Coolidge, the president of the United States, understood that the church of Jesus Christ with the gospel and the power of transformation of the people was the best defense for the U.S. government mm -hmm. because those who are transformed by Christ could choose righteous kings. And John Calvin, or excuse me, Calvin Coolidge, named after John Calvin, a clear Calvinist, goes to this Arminian Sir Francis Asbury mm -hmm. and understood his contribution to the United States. The statue is still there in Washington today. Um, it's a hidden neighborhood. It would have been more of an open field at the time that Calvin Coolidge dedicated it. But this is true. The ultimate health of our nation rests in a gospel-preaching church. And so many people complain about American government today. I firmly believe, Leo, our government is nothing more than a reflection of the people who send it. Mm -hmm. And the people who send it are not choosing well because we have sown the gospel sparingly in this last century. And we are reaping the harvest of a sowing sparingly gospel. If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. The American Republic rests on a gospel preaching church. <laughs> that doesn't mean the church is tied to the United States of America, that its health is tied to it. But it does mean the form of government this nation chose is dependent on a people that are transformed by mm. the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it means. And John Calvin understood that nearly 100 years ago. And as America approaches its next birthday, we must ask ourselves, mm -hmm. who are the Asbury's of our day mm. who are planting churches and making disciples throughout the land? and are seeing people transformed by Christ. That is the ultimate thing I believe we can do in government. Everyone's like, what do we do? What do we do? Do I go door knocking? What do I do? If you want to transform anywhere, but if you want to transform a constitutional republic, share the gospel and raise up disciples. 
so generously. So we will reap generously. And when the church reaches, reaps generously, the republic will reap generously with it. And that is true for all republics. That's very good, Greg. It helps us understand the, the role of the people in the government system that we live in today in the United States. But it helps us understand the specific power of the king and how important that is. Thank you for bringing us all the way from, um, from the first king that God gave to Israel all the way to the American history. Thank you for helping us understand the, the sovereignty and the importance of it. And I would like to go back, Leo, where we started. Yes. Back to Adam and Eve rejecting God. Mm-hmm. Back to Israel rejecting God. Mm-hmm. What a born-again transformation is, is rejecting what we originally did. It is repenting of our rejection of God as our king. Right. And recognizing him as Lord. Mm-hmm. That is what it is. It is us repenting of our rejection, our independence, our sin, mm-hmm. and bowing to him with the understanding that only through Christ's blood is sin paid, but it is putting him back where he always supposed to have been. Jesus is Lord. Those who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord will be saved. That is the ultimate hope for transformation, dating right back to our first governance, Mm -hmm. God ruling in the garden like it was always supposed to be. And where we have great hope is that everything is on a plan, for him to take what is his. God and man will dwell together again, and Jesus Christ will reign. Amen. That's very good, Greg. Thank you for just helping us understand even the importance of the gospel and gospel-preaching churches for a nation. And it's so great to see the impact of a healthy local church uh, in a community and how together local churches can really transform communities, state, also a nation and be a light to the world and how that infiltrates everywhere, including our government. So thank you for that. And Leo, th- that is why we as the church must never look to political solutions. Right. You can even change from a monarchy to a republic and it won't fix anything. Mm-hmm. The hope rests in the gospel Amen. and shame on us when we look for it in other places. Mm-hmm. And that is why I really hope as people listen to this podcast, they see us talking beyond the simplicities of human strategies mm-hmm. and human ideologies and join us in just really pulling out the richness of his word and how we can apply these ancient texts Mm -hmm. to our daily lives and these incredible examples of history that God has given us Mm -hmm. and his interaction with them. And that they can see that this is just as relevant today. It is just as relevant. And it's not only relevant here, we're going to work hard to pull in stories from around the world to show you that the gospel and the faithful obedience of the Lord's people is the hope of mankind, including the institution of government. And when we do it his way, we will see transformation, period. Amen. Amen, Greg. Thank you so much for listening to our last episode of our series, Who is King Today? We are excited to enter into our new series, How We Engage Government. And we will walk through six principles and values that 
holds our ministry, Church Ambassador Network, but also six principles that can guide believers as they seek to engage government. So thank you for following us, for joining us for this episode, and we hope to have you join us again on the next episode in our next series. Thank you. The Shepherd King Podcast is brought to you by the Church Ambassador Network, a ministry of the Family Leader Foundation that inspires the church to engage government for the advance of God's kingdom. For more information about the Church Ambassador Network, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, thefamilyleader.com backslash church.